Well, good morning, men. Good Good to see you all today. We are transitioning into chapter 12 of uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, which is what we've been studying for, uh, I don't know how long we've been studying it, quite a long time. Um, It is a completely different topic and a completely different subject. 8 through 11, the subject uh, was on the liberty, freedom that we have in Christ, and I obviously won't review all that again. But now we know it's a new topic, obviously because of the material, but if you look at the first two words of verse 1 of chapter 12, now concerning, you you have to go back a number of months, but that we discussed is a key structural marker in the book. It always alerts us, now the Apostle Paul is asking, Excuse me, he's answering another question that they asked. And the question, this is is the the key, and I, I want to focus on that right away. Now concerning spiritual, I think all of your translations will have the term gifts in italics, don't they? Okay, now what does that mean whenever you see that? That word's not there. It is not in the original text. So that is a little bit of a challenge for us. Only when they add the term gifts, editors who are trying to bring it from Greek into English, they're inferring that because of what he starts to talk about in verse 4. But that may not be correct. Let let me explain what I mean. translated this way. Now concerning spirituality. Because the the term in the Greek language uh, well I'm not going to explain it that way. That that would be meaningless to do it that way. The term in 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 the language of the New Testament is probably not specifically referring to spiritual gifts, the charismata, which is a charismatic we get from that word, because that's not the words used here. So perhaps the question that they're asking Paul is about spirituality and how you manifest it, show it, evidence it. Do you understand what I mean by that? Because, and we, we learned this at the very beginning of our study, way, way, way back when we started 1 Corinthians, in the very beginning of the book, he talks about some of these things. This is what we think was going on. There was a, a group of people in the Corinthian church that were seeing spirituality as evidencing, manifesting the extraordinary spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God gives like speaking in tongues, uh, speaking prophetic words, the showy, uh, extravagant gifts that if taken to an extreme can be very self-elevating. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so they're saying, and another way of concluding that would be, well then, those who are spiritual are only those who speak in tongues. So what's the corollary to that? If you don't speak in tongues, you're not spiritual. 
if you don't speak in tongues, you're not spiritual. Or you have a long way to go. We who have, and I'm using that example because he will focus a lot on that. And almost everything he says about the gift of tongues in chapter 12 and chapter 14 is not positive because they had obviously been going too far with it. Not in any way denigrating that as a gift, but what they were doing with it. So I think that is probably the best way to understand spirit, the, the term that's there. So now concerning spirituality, and then I put a little bracket of which spiritual gift is a part. You follow me? Or did I lose you by saying that? Now concerning spirituality, bracket or parenthesis, of which spiritual gifts are only part. That's not all there is to it. Because the next couple of verses, he doesn't focus on that. He focuses on a confession, a statement of doctrine, a statement of what you believe as the beginning point of spirituality. I want you to look at this with me from another perspective. Chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 are a unit. And chapter 12 focuses on the spiritual gifts and how God, the Holy Spirit, distributed them, so to speak. And chapter 14 is about the orderliness and structure that's needed in the local church for the exercise of the gifts. What's in the middle? Chapter 13, the great chapter in the Bible on love. And you, you know what I mean, don't you? Love is patient. You know, all those wonderful phrases that are part, it's almost poetry. And what he seems to be saying to us in this unit of 12, 13, and 14 is that the epitome of spirituality is love. Not the gift. And when you exercise the gifts, they are, whatever they might be, they are to be exercised in love. So, again, if you, if you think of spirituality, which I think grammatically is really the larger topic, you have gifts and their distributions in chapter 12. You have chapter 14, the order of the gifts and then right in the middle you have the heart of spirituality which is agape or we translate that love that's the heart of spirituality the spiritual life is manifested and um, developed and grown through this not this, and not this. And so I think, as, as you remember, you know, chapters and verse numbers and all that, this is a letter. Those, we've added those just to give some order to the, to, the, to the text. This is all one unit of thought. There's not another now concerning until you get chapter 15. So I, I think that's the proper, I, really, I very strongly think that's the proper way to understand these three chapters together as a unit. The gifts, the orderliness of the operation uh, and, and functioning of the gift, but in the middle is love. Because the very last phrase as we transition to chapter 13 is, 
I want to show you a better way. And he zeroes in on love. Now that's a big picture uh, and kind of structural way to look at this. Does that make sense or have I lost you? Okay, you can kind of with me? All right, so if, if we're right, then I will translate this now concerning spirituality or those things which are conducive to the spiritual life. Now concerning those aspects of your walk with God that enhance your spiritual I'm really embellishing it. But that's what he's really saying. I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, now what does he mean by that? That doesn't sound like it's a nice thing to say to them. Pagani, the word there, what that means is before you put your faith in Christ, when you were in the Greco-Roman world, dealing with the Greco-Roman gods and goddesses. You were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. And when he says dumb is not uh, stupid, dumb in the sense that they can't speak. (laughs) That's what he means by dumb. But I want you to notice when you were led astray, you could translate that Greek term seized it was used, it was used in, in, in the Greek outside the New Testament of being led astray or seized as you went into a state of ecstasy. That's that kind of word. So this isn't a neutral verb. This is a, this is a verb that you were seized and led astray in a state of ecstasy in your worship of, of idols. <laughs> so... I hope you understand what he's saying, that in your old religious pagan way of living, there was ecstasy, there was spirituality, there was religious fervor. Do you see that in a Hindu's life today? A Buddhist's life today? A Muslim's life today? The answer to that is yes, you do. And that kind of takes us back to what we studied a couple weeks ago when we were talking about you know, that little cautionary bunny trail where he talks about, you know, when you go into an idol temple, those things are nothing but wood and stone, but there's, what's fueling and energizing idolatry is demonic power. Remember when we talked about that? He's saying the same thing here. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I I don't know if you follow the point he's making. The beginning of spirituality is a confession of faith. It isn't what you do. It isn't the gifts. It isn't ecstatic utterances. It's a confession of faith. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you will never say, let Jesus be accursed. But when the Spirit of God dwells in you, you will be able to affirm, Jesus is Lord. Greek, Jesus Kurios. And that was penetratingly powerful because in the Roman Empire they were saying, 
Caesar is Lord. Caesar Curios, Caesar is Lord. But the Christian says, no, Jesus is Lord. And he is saying to us, this is very, this is why I believe the central issue is spirituality, not the narrow part of spirituality, it was just the gifts. Spirituality is much broader than just the gifts. And the beginning point of spirituality is a confession. Uh, you know what I mean by that confession, a statement of faith, that would be a better way to say it, that Jesus is Lord. And he's telling us, and it's really a, it's a profound verse, the only way you can say that with meaning is if you have the Spirit. And how do you get the Spirit? When you put your faith in Christ. Fred? What, what are these sources of these men, myself, and others throughout the world being led astray? What are those? Well, if you take uh, the entire corpus of Scripture, the, the three enemies that can lead you astray are the world, the flesh, and the devil. That, I don't know if that's answering your question. Well, I, 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 think, I think that's a constant battle even for Christians. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So how can we be sensitized uh, to those things that might lead us astray? What would you say? Well, I, I mean, Fred, there's so many ways to answer that question, but I think the, the, the best way to begin answering a question like that is another passage of Scripture in Ephesians 6, verse 10 and following, the whole armor of God. Um, that is, uh, I, I, to me, it's, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture because the, the Apostle Paul is saying there that every day, uh, and I believe this is how we should understand that, every day you are consciously and intentionally focusing on who you are in Christ and who I am in Christ. And each one of those parts of the armor is a statement of fact. It's who you are. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. But why? Because I am righteous in Christ. Romans 6, 1 through 14. I put on the helmet of salvation. Why? Because my position of being a child of God, my salvation is secure, so I put it on. Why do I take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? That's a quote. Because... I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He purchased me. He redeemed me. And this is his word. So it's my sword. And why do you take the shield of faith? Because I am a person of faith. And faith is the, 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 the key element by which I live my life. So it's every day you are consciously affirming who you are in Christ. Which is how I think we should really understand the armor of God. It's just reaffirming, re-examining, uh, re, uh, what's another way of saying it? reviewing the stability and solidness of your life in Christ. Because if you don't do that, the enemy is constantly saying to you, 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 you really don't trust this God, do you? I mean, he's not going to have your best interest. What are you following him for? You just had a car accident. That's all God's fault, right? Well, 
No. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? I mean, the evil one is constantly hammering you. Whereas if you begin each day affirming, this is who I am in Christ. Then, and that's, I believe that's why the Apostle Paul uh, talks about it in that way. I mean, this is, the, this is the solid, stable life that I now have in Christ. Have in Christ and this is who I am. And the only that's the danger of, of looking at because it's like, well, every day I have to become righteous. No, that's not the right way to understand that. You are righteous in Christ. Every day I have to reaffirm, I have to go through salvation again. No, 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 that's not what it's saying. It it's just reaffirming. I have that helmet of salvation. I'm just making sure I review what my standing is. That's the best way I think to really start that. It's a daily thing. Do you understand the power of these first three verses of what he's doing here? Spirituality, the spiritual life begins with a confession of faith. Jesus is Lord. All right. Now verse 4 through 11. He shifts to a manifestation of spirituality, the gift. Because we think this was a big deal with these people. As we're going to see much later on in the, uh, in, in the text, this was a very divisive issue, as it can be in our churches today. Uh, I'm going to send this around um, just take one or two sides to it, and I'm sure there's going to be some extras. Because this is a topic, once we start it, it creates all kinds of questions. So I'm hoping and have anticipated some of your questions. And we'll look at the cartoon first, and then the back side is the, all the places where New Testament gifts are listed. And the, what I believe are the right, proper way of organizing the gifts, which we'll talk about. I doubt we'll get to all that today. But um, I want you to notice, and I'm going to spend a good bit of time on verse 4, 5, and 6 as Paul introduces it now. Now, I want you to do just some good Bible study method methodology with me, okay? Bible study begins with the word observe. It continues with the word interpret, and it ends with the word apply. So we're looking at verse 4, 5, and 6, and we're going to make some observations. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God, which I'll stop there for now. We're making some observations. What are some of the words that are repeated in each one of those verses? Varieties. Pardon? Varieties. Varieties. It's repeated three times. It's a key word in verse 4, a key word in verse 5, a key word in verse 6. What is another word, that term that's repeated? Same. Same. Same spirit, same Lord, same God. 
In each, there is an object of the preposition of, variety of gifts, varieties of ministries, varieties of effects. So if you were to put this on a chart, you have three phrases. The theme of any relevant biblical discussion of the gifts must revolve around the phrase, there is diversity in unity. Some of you are looking at me as if I just uttered that sentence in German or something. (laughs) But there is diversity in unity. Spirit, Lord, God. That's the Trinity. Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father. So the diversity that is associated with the gifts is anchored in the unity of the Godhead. Varieties, it's the same exact Greek word. There are varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, varieties of effects of these gifts and ministries. But they're all tied to the Trinitarian nature of our God. As in the Godhead, there is, there is diversity in that unity. We've talked about this before in our, in our study. We would define, simply put, the Trinity as God is one essence of three persons who differ relationally, Father, Son, and Spirit, and who differ functionally. They each have a different role. There's unity, the one essence that makes God God, but there's diversity in that unity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, I have to go through some of that doctrine. Does that all make sense? But that is, he is, he's going to do this again. He's anchoring the diversity that you see in the body of Christ as analogous to the diversity you see in the unity of God. So varieties is part of the dynamic and energy and giftedness of the body. God did not create robotic automatons that all look the same, function the same, talk the same, act the same, That's not what he did. Every one of you around this table is a unique, gifted individual. And you each are doing something that is of significance and value to God. And when everybody's doing it together, there is an amazing unity in this almost confounding diversity. And it is very important to Paul that spirituality begins with a confession of faith and it includes an understanding of the diversity which is in the unity of the body of Christ.
And there is no right for anyone to say, my gift is better than your gift. Mine is more important than yours. Right? So spirituality is not attached to pride or arrogance, but the attitude that I am better than you are. Because in the body of Christ, everyone is equal. Just like in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit are absolutely equal because they're God. Co-equal, co-eternal, co-essential. But they have a different role. And this is, confounds us. It's hard because of still three and one. Now I'm trying to, am I losing you or are you with me? Because this is the bedrock of what he's doing here. He is challenging the Corinthian understanding of spirituality. To them, spirituality was the exciting, ecstatic gifts that led to self-elevation and arrogance. And he's come, But he's coming at it, I mean, it's like Paul. He always comes at it from the right perspective. And he comes out, comes at it with some doctrinal foundation stones that have to be understood to understand what God's doing. Gifts, ministries, effects. Well, then why does God give gifts? Answers that in verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Regarding them, nobody can share it. They're not for the faculty at large. They are selfishly mine. It's not for the spiritual I'm being. It's hard for us to see the love. No. I mean, a little bit facetious there. Yeah, just a little bit. Instead of writing it all, I've used some arrows and stuff like that just to save space and so I don't have to write it all. But what he seems to be saying to us, not seems to be, he is saying this to us in verse 7. It's kind of a propositional statement. Spiritual gift, which is a dimension of spirituality that we've already talked about, spiritual gifts are to edify. That's why God gives them. For the common good. So, whatever your gift is, Paul is saying, if you are doing it, if you are exercising it, if you're uh, carrying it out, for arrogant, self-serving, self-elevating reasons, you're abusing the gift. Would you agree with that? Is that a corollary to this? If in exercising your spiritual gifts, whatever they might, I'm going to talk about what they are in just a second, but I'm trying to get a proposition on the table. 
If you are exercising the spiritual gifts that God has given you for any other reason than for the good of the body, you are abusing the gift. That's a correlate to this. But he doesn't put it negatively, he puts it very positively. The Holy Spirit of God, who is the one who dispenses the gift, we'll learn more about that coming up. The Holy Spirit of God, who dispenses the gifts, dispenses them for one purpose and one purpose only, to serve and edify the entire body. He never gives a gift so that you're going to feel more spiritual than somebody else. That you're going to believe that you're part of some elite crowd that's the only people who really are spiritual. That is not why he gives a gift. Do you follow what I'm saying? Now, it's a corollary to that so that if you are exercising the gift for any other reason, you're abusing it. And, and the result of that, Jim, is what? It wouldn't. It would not be accomplishing, uh, for the most part. It would not be accomplishing the things for which God gave the gift in the first place. So he'll neutralize. Yeah. Well, it, it could actually. I don't know if we could say that, Fred. If if we're not exercising, and this is where he. This is why he's saying all this. Because if we are not properly, one, understanding what spirituality is, and two, properly understanding why God dispenses gift, uh, then we can actually be doing damaging things in the body. Now, it's not, uh, today, it's not as big of an issue. Some of you can, I'm the oldest one around here, but some of you might remember, you young whippersnappers, that you know, 10, 15 years ago, a big issue in the evangelical church in North America was speaking in tongues. It was dividing churches. Here in our, in our community, there are two churches that are both large churches that split over the issue of speaking in tongues. And th- that's a sad thing. I'm not even, I don't even want to get into that in a sense. I'm just saying that there's an example of what can happen when you singularly emphasize a gift to the expense of everything else, it can become very divisive. Um, that, so I, I, that's why I'm not sure I would agree with how you put that, because it, the Lord ultimately, in terms of the entire spectrum of eternity, yeah, he'll neutralize it. But if we are not exercising, carrying out, and thinking about spirituality, which again, I think that's the real topic, the way in which Paul is approaching it here, you're going to see the things that are divisive and can actually undermine the mission of the church, which is what we don't want to see happen. And that's why chapters 12, chapters 13, chapters 12, 13, and 14, and that's how we're going to be studying it. We can't look at all of it in one day, but as we, we keep linking these things together, that's the proper way to understand what spirituality is. They're all linked together in a very powerful way. Now, if you'll take, because um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the issue of spiritual gifts um, and the sheet that I just gave you. Um, <clears throat> let's look at the cartoon. If you don't recognize that, uh, they're stick men. If you don't recognize what they are, that's what they are. All right? So you have the stick man. And if you go from the, your left all the way to the end, Here you are as a unique human being. 
You have personalities and traits that are just part of who you are. It's the way God created you. When you come to faith in Christ, and we're going to read about that in this passage, the Holy Spirit gives you a spiritual gift, a special divine enablement to accomplish things in the body for the glory of God. And you then serve, you know, the third box, Jesus gives you a service or a job assignment. You are doing something in the body of Christ. And what are that sign? It's anything. I mean, there's, there's no end to that. And as all the gifts and all the job assignments work together, you see immense, complex diversity in the unity of the body. You see the body working the way it's supposed to work. Just like, and he's going to use that analogy, just like the human body works when it's working properly. Everything's working together. He's going to say that silly. The eye can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. The foot can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. That's ludicrous. They're unique, they're distinctive, there's great diversity, but when they all work together, there's unity. So, a gift is more than likely related to your personality and talents. It doesn't have to be, and it sometimes isn't, but it uses this is the way God created you. And so it's a divine enhancement and a divine enablement for the common good to edify. Now, on the flip side, uh, I think it's the flip side, is a chart that uh, spiritual gifts um, that are named in the New Testament. This is how I organize them. That may or may not be the right way to do it. There are three major passages in Scripture where the gifts are listed. Romans 12, which we're now, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, which we're now studying. Ephesians chapter uh, 4, and Romans chapter 12. My own opinion, this is not unique with me, and many others have argued that. We probably do not have an exhaustive list of, of gifts in the New Testament. You understand what I mean by that sentence? We don't have an exhaustive list. We have a suggestive list, but there are so many other aspects. All Paul is doing is he's saying, here are some very important equipping gifts, like apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. Here are important minister gifts, serving, mercy, help, exhortation. There are certain sign gifts, and that is explained as we get into the book of 1 Corinthians further, uh, that have very specific functions and very specific purposes. But the point that he is making, and the point I'm trying to make sure that you understand, is that a spiritual gift is a divine enablement to accomplish things in the body of Christ. More than likely, it is tied to your personality and your special talents that make you you. That doesn't have to be. But it, it, it usually it's more, and I, I can't go to Scripture and say that. It's just common sense and the way God does things that seems to be indeed the way it occurs. 
So, have I lost you, or are you sort of with me? I mean, you know, I can, we can get more specific if you want to. I'm just trying to get some general thoughts out and some ideas about this very complex subject on the table for us to continue the study together of these three chapters. Any questions so far? Yeah, Jim. Did you mention that there were some gifts probably that aren't listed here in Scripture? Um, how do we how do I identify those? I mean, or how do we if we think we know? How do we attribute that as a spiritual gift? The only way to answer that is a twofold uh, answer, Jim. Um, you <clears throat> you only discover where your giftedness is by getting busy in serving. I do not think I can see anywhere in Scripture or have I ever known anybody, okay, Lord, I'm just going to sit here until you make known to me my gift. That's just, at one level, you think, well, that's the way it should be. But that is not, it doesn't seem like that's common sense, wise, or even intuitive. The best thing, I say this to students all the time, um, and I said it to my kids, get busy serving, and you will start to see where you fit, where you feel fulfilled, where you see things that you are specially talented, and you're going to start to see and so, Jim, today, because of what's happened to the church as a body, it's so complicated. You know, it's not just little house churches where there's only a few dozen people in a whole city that, you know what I mean? Today, you're talking about very large numbers of and usually complex organizations. So the, the very broad gift that we often try, an administrative gift, good night, what does that mean? That has so many specific, I don't know, that can mean so many things today, or the gift of mercy. What does that mean? That's such a broad that there are probably so many different levels of giftedness and how you will be exercising that. And so I think Paul's categories, generally speaking, with a few exceptions, are very broad categories, but they, they kind of give you the structure and framework of how the body works. Where do I fit? I don't, my own, in my own life, I, I, I believe I have the gift of teaching. That's what God, I think, has gifted me in. I enjoy that. That's, and, and I want to use that to his glory. And, you know, I know my wife and I, I, I think she has a clear understanding of where her gifts are. The, the, the issue for people is you become almost paranoid. The solution is just get busy serving. Serve the Lord. You know, in your, in your church, and you know, you know, parachurch ministry, whatever specifically, and you, over time you will start, and people are going to affirm. You know, you, Andrew, that you really made quite a contribution the other day. That was that's very significant. Oh, good, really, okay. And then they watch you, and they may encourage you to think about some leadership in that particular area of the body. And it's affirming. It's affirming you. God's using that to help you to see how you fit. It doesn't happen by osmosis. I don't think it ever happened where some, maybe, I'm sure it did in 2,000 years, God does miraculous things, where somebody's zapped, oh, now I know what it is. I just don't think that's normally how it's going to occur. And as we, as, as we serve, we come to understand. But the important point for us in this passage is, you, whatever you do, 
In your serving and ministering, it is to edify. It's for the common good. And to look at it and function and carry it out, whatever the it is, for a selfish, self-centered, or self-elevating purpose is abusing the gift. That is not why God gave it. All right, we've seen a couple of things so far that the beginning of spirituality is a confession of faith. Spiritual giftedness, which is a part of spirituality, is anchored in the Trinitarian nature of God. There is diversity in the unity of the Godhead. There's diversity in the body. And whatever God dispenses through his spirit, that divine enablement, that that, that divine uh, um, energetic focus point, is probably going to fit with your personality and talents to be edifying to the body. It's to serve. That make sense so far? (laughs) And then he says, in verse 8 through verse 11, actually really through verse 10, I want to look at verse 11 separately, He itemizes some. And you see, to one, to another, to another, to another, to another, to... That's making your Bible study observations. He's creating categories. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. To another, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing of spirit. To another, various kinds of tongues. Or simply put, it's just tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. As I said, there is there are additional lists in Romans 12 and in Ephesians 4. Some repeat, some are distinctively different. So it's only proper for us then to understand these three verses as not comprehensive, exhaustive, but as suggestive gifts. Perhaps he chose to focus on these because these were a big deal in Corinth. But to one and the same spirit, verse 11 reads, works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. So this distinctive differentness and diversity in the unified body is the sovereign act of God. It's not random. It is a part of his will and his purpose. What Paul seems to be doing is encouraging the Corinthians to get their eyes off of themselves, to get the focus off of themselves, and get it on others. How am I serving the body? Not how am I elevating myself. And I believe this, I'm going to say this for about the fourth time. To abuse a gift 
that God has given is going to create dissension and upheaval in the body. Because it is not about me or about you singularly, it's about us. And there's no such thing as a superior gift. All gifts are given for the purpose of edification. And so, uh, you know, a lady that's 76 years old and has been caring for infants in the nursery for 50 years is serving in just as an important ministry in the body as the lead pastor who preaches a 45-minute sermon every Sunday morning. Don't you agree with that? That's what Paul's saying. Everybody does what God is asking them to do, gifted them to do for the good of the body. And nobody's better than anybody else. Nobody's. There aren't tears of greatness. It's equal human beings in Christ. Not in their, but equal in Christ. Understanding how they fit and passionately doing it to the glory of God and for the benefit of others. That's the ideal. But you know, churches are messy things. Local churches are just messy, messy things because it's made up of a bunch of sinners who, by God's grace, have come to know Christ and they're starting to get over the messiness. And I'm I'm really involved in my local church now. I'm on step part-time and it's just messy. I'm reminded again, there's just lots of, we had a board meeting Monday night and just lots of messy things you have to deal with. And it's, you know, it's the delight would be if you just could snap your finger and slam a couple of these people, of these people on the side of the head and would you please straighten <laughs> out? You're acting very infantile and dumb. Would you knock it off? And, you know, yeah, you can do that. But it's just, you know, it's just as the Lord is patient with us and long-suffering, <clears throat> we are patient and long-suffering as God is bringing people to maturity. I think I've said this, but my, one of my mentors way back years ago in Pennsylvania said, Jim, you will discover that ministry would be great if it were not for people. <laughs> but that's what ministry is, whether you're working with college students or whatever. All right, now, these, these are the foundation stones. By these, I mean verses 1 through 11. Construct the foundation stones for what he wants to say through the end of chapter 14. Foundation stone number one, spirituality begins with a confession of faith. It's Christological. Jesus is Lord. Spirituality involves spiritual gifts. But spiritual gifts are anchored in the diversity of the Godhead where there is absolute unity. One essence of three persons who differ relationally and functionally. And God willfully, through his spirit, and sovereignly distributes gifts for one purpose and one purpose only. Verse 7, for the edification of the body, for the common good of the body. And if you step outside of any of those, you're outside the biblical understanding of spirituality. Okay, the, 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 does that make sense? The confession, the diversity and unity, and God sovereignly 
willfully, intentionally distributing the giftedness for the common edification of the body. Okay? Oh my goodness. Almost 10 off. I guess that means I've got to stop. Are you with me? You can build on this. Do not lose this handout. I don't have any authority to level penalties, but try not to lose the handout. So next week, I just I want to go through the rest of this material and just inch our way along. It, we can pick up some speed next week, and then we're going to really slow down in chapter ten. We're uh, chapter th- we are going to take chapter thirteen apart, and we're going to spend you know like 10, 15 minutes on each one of those descriptive phrases about love. It's a very powerful and penetrating passage of scripture. So by the time we exit chapter fourteen, it'll be the middle of June. I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I just want to take our time with that. It's it's rich, and so on. Um, that's good. Well, we got a good start for this. Father, we're grateful for this uh, passage of Scripture. It reminds us and uh, really anchors us in, in, in some very important truth statements. That spirituality is not about us or manifesting ecstatic, glorious, self-elevating gifts. It begins with a simple confession, Jesus is Lord. And it's understanding that you sovereignly and willfully distribute gifts, which is a dimension of spirituality, for a purpose and a singular purpose, to edify and build up for the common good for the body. It's about serving others. It's not about us. We're talking conceptually. We're talking almost theoretically. But those foundation stones are so crucial or talking about what is involved as we try to apply this in the weeks to come. Certainly chapter 13 is pretty central to any understanding of how this is carried out. Be with these men. They're very busy guys. They've got lots of responsibilities. Some wear many, many hats in their life. We ask you to give them added strength for each one of those responsibilities. To look at them as stewardships entrusted by you. And also help them, Lord, in their relationships with family, their wives, their children or grandchildren, that they are an important, uh, play an important role in manifesting the Spirit of God, in, in exemplifying what it means to walk with Jesus so others can see that and help them, therefore, in all they do and all they say to really represent you well. And this we pray in your Son's good name. Amen. Okay. See you next week. Perfect.